Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Faceless Fly Fishing and Upland podcast. As always, I'm your host, Timber Pringle, along with my partner, Darcy Toner. Our guest today is the legendary author and upland hunter, Ben O. Williams. He is known for his love of Hungarian partridge and vast knowledge of upland birds and their habitat. Today we will discuss communicating with our dogs in the field, approaching landowners for access, and the impact weather has on the bug life and wild bird population. Ben has studied gray partridge and other upland birds for decades, and we are thankful that he's made time to have some candid conversation with us about it today. I want to thank our sponsors who make this channel possible. Orvis, for all your fly fishing, upland hunting, and dog needs. Shop at Orvis.com or at a fly shop near you. And Diamondback Truck Bed Covers. Protect your gear with the toughest truck bed cover on the market. And it looks great too. All right, everyone. Um, we're pretty excited today. We have uh, Ben uh, Ben Williams, or Ben O. Williams, as as most of you would probably uh, know him by. Um, so Ben's agreed to uh, be on our podcast today, and we're super happy to have him. Welcome, Ben. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. Yeah. Um, we, t- we heard you on Reed's podcast, on the Orvis podcast, and we had told him how much uh uh we enjoyed it it was like one of my favorite ones that that he's done and and he's like oh just ask ben he'll be more than happy to do it and and it seems like you're more than happy to do it so thank you again but um where are you right now ben i'm in livingston montana where i've lived for the oh pretty close to i think 60 years now um i live east of livingston montana and uh, along the Yellowstone River. And at this time, I only have five bird dogs um, <laughs> and uh, only two Britneys and, and uh, three pointers. Oh, nice. So, and I never, I consider that not very many dogs because most of the years I've always had around. Oh, between twelve to sixteen. So. Oh, that's amazing. Anyway, we'll 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 talk about that a little later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did it? Did the weather finally turn around in Montana? Or well, I don't know how it was down there. I shouldn't say that because here it's been it's been a pretty chilly spring. So. Um. Yeah, it was actually. It wasn't so chilly, basically. It was very, very dry. Yeah, that's... Um, yeah, that's which is really way. not good. In February and March, we used to have a lot of, a lot of uh, rain or snow in March and April, and we really didn't have very much. And luckily, the last month, uh, most of May and in late... Uh, in later... Uh, uh, in late April, we finally had started starting to have some rain so mm-hmm. uh our snowpack is right about normal for this time of year and uh so that means that there'll be plenty of water for the runoff or to keep our rivers nice and, and clear 
and at a good level. So I, I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to get into this too soon, but you probably answered me this question right now because I'm curious being that we took up bird hunting about four years ago and it's, and you get so many mixed messages, but um, do you think that it affects, so the Han, the Han, Hungarian partridge, like primarily what we like to hunt and I, I'm pretty sure that's what you like to hunt. Do you think it affects uh, um, the, like how well they um, breed or? Or reproduce this time of year? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think I think climate or the climate. I think the weather really plays a very major role in uh, the amount. Uh, if they have a good hatch, or if they go through the winter or fall, or etc. So, mm. usually, a dry year in the spring uh, is. Uh, Probably more helpful than not, uh, but uh, a long drop for them uh, can be pretty tough on them. So okay, yeah. But uh, and then also, if we get they right now, Huns are are are, uh, are paired up. In fact, they usually break up in February. And then in cold weather, they'll come back and cubby up again, and then break up again, and they do that off and on for quite a while. And then by March, they're, they're pretty well all paired up and scattered out and uh, have a territory they protect and uh, then start uh, looking to build a nest and et cetera. And then by, usually by June, and as late as, as, late as July, uh, they, they nest and takes uh, 24 days for incubation mm-hmm. and their amount of eggs will be from 16 to 22. So, and, uh, the, both the female and male sit on the eggs, uh, and both in the male, it basically is always close by as, uh, as a protector. So, so it really depends on if we have a really a lot of bad rain or lots of rain wet with no insects hatching. Uh, in June, the cubbies can, or the hatch can be very small, like from only from six to eight birds and et cetera. Um, or they can lose, a, or they can lose a clutch of eggs, even though they will renest. And if they do renest, they usually they, their amount of eggs they lay is always much smaller. Okay, so it's the health of the adults. It affects the not the bugs. Like not having enough yeah. food affects the health of the adults more than the health of the of the chicks. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, well, it's very important. It's very very important for the for when they when the chicks hatch uh, during. Uh, late June, during June and July, is that they really have to have a a supply of, a supply of insects. I mean, all kinds. I'm talking about mites and spiders and everything. So, mm-hmm. and if you get those rains, basically during that period of time, and over a long period of time, they just they just can't handle that. They just mm-hmm. they just don't survive. Yeah. Do they? So, 
Do they they but, eat a fair but bit they're, of gra- but they're tough, so they eat a fair bit of grasshoppers though too as well though the I know the dry weather it seems like when I don't know if you just notice them more when it's dry but it seems like when it's dry you get more grasshoppers I wonder if that would help them out as well well yeah you got to look at the insects catches throughout the years they're early in June when those birds are the younger hatching etc mm-hmm. we don't we don't have the large amounts of, of, of grasshoppers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You'll have some very, very small, small grasshoppers. Yeah, those tiny ones, those but ones then, that first come out, yeah. Right, and when, then later on, uh, there'll be, when you have a tremendous amount of grasshoppers, that is extremely helpful uh, for uh, the chicks. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's important also to have the, a good supply of grasshoppers uh, later in the year and other insects. It's not just grasshoppers. Yeah, I think that's one of the cool things about hunting is when you get a bird and you take it home and, you know, you're preparing it and you can see everything that they've been eating. So you can pull grasshoppers out and berries and all the stuff. And so you know what to look for the next time you're going out. So that's kind of cool aspect of it. I always find that super interesting. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. Also, what I also do is is if I don't shoot for any birds anymore, but what I did was often is when I first started hunting, when I shot a, a bird, the, uh, the first thing I did after my dogs brought it back or whatever happened to it and I had it in hand, I would I would open up its its crop and look and see what they were eating and they might be eating small seeds, small insects, insects, and et cetera. Now that doesn't necessarily give you, give you an indication of where to hunt, but it gives you a good indication of what is going on with those birds and maybe how far they travel or, or whatever. So it does help a little bit. And, uh, I think it's, Biologically, I think it's it's fun. It's very useful. I mean, it's it's not only about shooting a gun. It's or running dogs. It's about really appreciating what you're looking for and to examine uh, the birds or birds that you bag. Do you think it affects the flavor of the bird as the year goes as the as the season goes along? What they're eating at the time. Have you found that at all? Um, that's a good question. I, I don't. You never gave much thought to it? Well, the only time I ever gave any thought to is, is when we, when they're late in, late in the year, they eat a lot of wheat or barley and grain. And years ago, there was a, a chemical they were putting on that was Indra. I think that's the right pronunciation. And the birds were eating the grain and they were they were consuming that particular pesticide. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was I don't know if it was a pesticide or a chemical to encourage growth. I'm not sure. I I don't remember that. 
But anyway, we were alerted in Montana by the Fish and Game Net. And I sent samples in to the Fish and Game to see if the places that I was hunting had any traces of Indra. Um, and the reason being they were saying that you should be careful about eating those birds. Uh, you could still eat them, but they said actually they should be skinned. They were good. So, so whether whether they tasted different during that time or whether they tasted different during uh, eating insects, I don't. I don't think my palate is good enough to detect that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, my, my dad's I, my dad's a chef, so I think about that kind of stuff from time to time, right? But um, some you know. I'm going to, I'm going to make it, I'm going to think about it as I, as I next yeah, this season a, coming no, up. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm, I'm sure, I don't, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I really never, I really never pursued that. Mm-hmm. You know, I never thought about that, or pursued that line and, and looked into it. But, mm-hmm. and then I can honestly say quite a few years ago, I really stopped shooting a lot of birds. Uh, I was, I always write that I just, the, I shoot a, I shoot a couple of huns or a hun or two, which were allowed, I think eight here now, which I think is way too many, but, uh, and the reason I think it's way too many is just because I think hunters always want to get a limit. So why not have five birds and, and, and make them happy instead of, hate which you never get so mm-hmm. but but anyway so so over the years now I, I have not really I really don't shoot a lot of birds other than for the edification of the dog and and I call it the glory of the table so so I'm I'm pretty I'm even at the point in my life that I'm even kind of squirmish about killing things you know but I think that I think that goes with hunting a lot. I think there's a whole process we go through of the appreciation of the bird, et cetera. And and that was was that a gradual thing for you? Like, did you had you always been? Um, well, I don't. I'm sure most most people we we don't enjoy the the killing part, right? I think. It, if you enjoy the killing part, it, there might be something a little bit wrong with you, but, but, um, that's just my personal opinion. But was that like a, a progression over, over time? Oh, sure. I think so. I think, I think that's a, but I think that's a normal thing with most of us. If you hunt a lot, you know, uh, I was, yeah, no, I, when I, in the sixties and seventies, when I was really pursuing those birds and and they were, you know, they were harder to find because my dogs weren't as good and I didn't understand the game bird as much and so forth. You know, I was, I was a real killer. Okay. So, yeah. and I, and, and I think, I think you progress from that. I mean, I really do. So, um, and like I say, I think last year, I don't even know if I killed a hunt last year. I think maybe one, um, and I just raise the gun up and say bang and say bang you're dead and 
And I have people say, well, my dogs need to have that training. And I don't, I don't agree with that either. Uh, I think the dogs have just as much fun pointing and chasing the birds and, and they always like to retrieve naturally, but I, I'm not so sure that really. Yeah. I'd say, uh, I'd say our Brittany, she's just happy pointing. That's her, that's her jam. She loves pointing. So I, I think the dogs are getting what they need if they're out there in the field, just chasing the birds and yeah. She also, yeah, absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. In fact, in the South is a good example um, and in the deep South in Florida and Georgia where they have the plantations and basically they, they have their pointers, those point, they put pointers down and when, when, when they point, those dogs do not move. And when the, the flush is made and a bird is shot, the pointer does not retrieve. They have a Labrador on the wagon. Okay. That goes out and retrieves the bird. So, so there's all kinds of methods of, of, or how you feel about what your dog should do, et cetera, et cetera. So um, that's another kind of long story about training dogs and my philosophy of dogs. So, do you do you spend a lot of time teaching your dogs to retrieve? Is it like a a large aspect of it, or do you? Or do you just look for dogs that naturally retrieve? No. Yeah. I don't, I, uh, I don't work with my Britneys or my pointy dogs to retrieve. Some of them are very good at it. Some of them are, some of them are just mediocre and some of them don't. As a good example, my, I had a couple of pointers. Uh, Misty. Misty is a good example. She was a, terrific dog when it came come to pointing and when i would walk on by her she wouldn't even break and i try to teach my dogs to on hunts to to point break point break because those dogs those birds are moving constantly and she would not do that and sometimes i'd have to walk i'd walk 100 yards and she'd be way back there and uh i just let her i'd let her do her thing my other my other the dogs just once I walked by them, they would break and point again. But she would not do that. And that's what that was her thing. And another thing she did, which was wonderful, was when those birds got up, she would not. She would not retrieve. She didn't care any about retrieving. I had three dogs do this basically. They would they would point. There'd be a flush. She would take off and she would go like she was chasing the birds and she would go down and she would and run down and follow them. She couldn't see them a long way. She knew exactly where they were and she would go and point them again. It was absolutely amazing. My dog, my little Brittany Gina, uh, not Gina, uh, Mary Mary did the same thing. Mary Mary would always retrieve first, retrieve the bird, drop it at my feet and take up and follow those birds went and they'd be gone. And then I would beat them with the, uh, beat, beat them with the collar in both, in both Mary Mary and Misty, the pointer, after beating them for quite some time, they would come back easy over a hill or someplace, 
just as soon as they saw me, they turned right around and go right back and point the birds what they had been pointing. It was just uncanny what they did. Um, I'm talking about a dog, you know, a half mile away, taking off and pointing. And they actually, they actually taught me that when those, that, that flush, when those birds got up and, and left, they were out there trying to follow them, looking for them to point. And it was, it was kind of interesting. In fact, overall, I probably had maybe eight or nine dogs do that. Hmm. Uh, that's, that's one smart dog. That makes us feel a lot better. Uh, North, our, our Brittany, she's not, she'll retrieve sometimes. Occasionally. Occasionally. Every time it happens, I'm like, oh, well, that was out of the ordinary, right? Um, more with, more with, more with pheasants. She'll try to retrieve the pheasants with huns. Um, she'll, when the bird gets up and she just wants to point again, like that's once they, once they get up and they go, she just, she does the exact same thing. She'll, she'll run down the birds. Like I can usually get her to turn around with the tone, like with the beep, right. And, and come back. But, but, uh, as soon as we come, she'll come back and then it's just right, right away trying to find that, that covey again. So Sure, yeah. she'll go right back up there, yeah. yeah. In fact, if she probably would not beep her, she'd probably go out and find it and point. But I had I had dogs do that all the time. Mary Mary was a, in this year, masters at it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they would be a mile away pointing. I would beep them, and then I figured, oh, they're going someplace. But, but they weren't, and then I'd beep them, and they would, they would not come all the way back to me when I beeped them. They would come back to me until they saw me and then they would turn right around and take off. Mm-hmm. And they were telling me, let's get going. I got dogs on point. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what they were telling me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that it was a learning situation for me. And I don't, I really don't think some dogs are extremely good at retrieving. And I mean, I'm talking about the, the pointing breeds. Uh, I've had, I, I have personally have had 164 dogs, not wow. counting my litters, but, but I personally had that many dogs and they're, they're all different. Some dogs were extremely good at tracking. They put their nose down, which, and then they track a wounded bird. Other, other dogs would not do that. And my philosophy was when I go hunting, I, my dogs are pointers. They point, and after they're shot, I let them break. We try to find the birds. If, if, and you'll also have a nice tail to retrieve. Mm-hmm. And if a dog retrieves and, own, and picks up the birds, brings it halfway back and drops the bird or leaves or just looks at you and takes off, that's fine with me. Um... And then if I lose a bird sometimes, then I, then I will call, a, call the dogs back. And I always use one term, hunt dead, hunt dead. And it takes a while. And eventually when you use just, I always, I always say, hunt dead, hunt dead, hunt dead, constantly hunt dead. And I start making circles and looking myself. 
they pick up on that and then they start looking. Mm-hmm. So you can you can do a lot of little things that really encourage them and try to communicate with them for really what you want them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, like I say, and I, I mean, I've heard guys say, well, I, I want my, I want my dog to retrieve that bird and come down and sit down and drop it in my hand. My answer is, that's fine. You go to a game farm and hunt. That's not mm-hmm. with me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. it, you know, uh, would you say that your would you say your training style from what you're saying to me, your training styles, you're pretty light-handed as far as a trainer goes. Extremely, I'm extremely light-handed. I, I think you know, the birds. I think the dogs know more about the birds than I do. The most important thing is getting them out. Mm-hmm. So, the uh, I, I mean, agree. when I I agree, I want my dog having a good time out there. I don't want to, you know, force the fetch to. Uh, too much on her um of course i'd love it if she she retrieved the birds more but i love watching her have a good time out there you that is the bottom line basically you go out you go out and want to have a good time the dog should be able to do exactly the same thing if the dog makes a mistake you don't get mad. You don't. You don't do that. In fact, we probably, at least I, make more mistakes in the field than my dogs do. And the only difference is my dogs would like to discipline me, but they can't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, go out and have a good time. I mean, that's what that's what the the, the whole thing is all about. You know. Um. I've had a, I had a couple of dogs that that uh, years ago I'd have two or three dogs point and not shoot and miss and I even had one dog that turned around and looked at me and I'm sure he was saying a few words I didn't like. <laughs> okay, like um, you just missed, buddy. Okay, <laughs> okay. So, and, but after that they were happy. So, but I think I think that's the most important thing to tell young hunters to have a good time, appreciate the outdoors, appreciate the bird you're hunting, the query you're after, and don't, you know, don't get upset, don't get mad, don't do anything, just just have a good time. And every, and every with your dog, with your dog, Always give the dog praise, and I I scold my dogs now and then. I have I I, I scold my dogs sometimes they, when they chase bunnies, uh, and I call them back and I said, you know, you don't do that. And that's amounts to that. And I I had I had my dog Clyde, and I've written about Clyde a lot. And Clyde was a real piece of work. <laughs> yeah, he was a great dog. He was a character, and Clyde. We would go out hunting, and we'd 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 get up a jackrabbit or a rabbit, and and I'd yell at him, and he'd come back, and then we'd proceed on hunting for another quarter of a mile, and pretty soon Clyde would be gone. 
Okay. And off hunting. What he would do is he'd double back and hunt that bunny. Okay. <laughs> and I caught him doing it several times. And he knew what he was doing. So, and I said, well, Clyde, you're not supposed to be doing that. Let's, let's, let's start hunting birds. Okay. So, but I love the dog. He was a great dog. Yeah. The rabbit, the bunnies, rabbits, jackrabbits, they just, something about their movement and the, and the dog, it's just, it, it's, it's, it's a, a definite, um, they're mesmerized, mesmerized by them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, basically, yeah. The history of the history of the, the Britneys basically in from France and so in England, they hunted them for rabbits also. You know, that's, Part of their, I got a little, I got a little pointer right now. Here, Bonnie, she's sitting here, and I have big windows in my house, and I have deck out in front, and there's bunnies on their deck. She's she's always looking out the window. I hope she's always trying to catch the bunnies, and it's it's a a routine in the morning. You know, I just say, Bonnie, leave the bunnies alone. Well. She's not going to leave them alone. She's going to go out and point them. She's going to go out and chase them. And that's okay. That's mm-hmm. that's what bird dogs do. <laughs> we take north out here in the field behind our place. And at this time of year, there's a lot of little Tweety birds in the grasses. And when the wind's blowing, she's just pointing Tweety birds all morning long on the walk. She just loves it. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. In them, yeah. Or the rap or, or a robin out in the lawn, you know, mm-hmm. they let them point this, this little pointer right now into, you know, my windows go right to the floor and I got a couple of little, uh, uh, English sparrows and a couple of smaller, uh, birds that sit on the deck and so forth. She'll point them with her nose against the window and the birds <laughs> are like, three inches away, you know, there's only one particular bird that, that I don't appreciate for that is the, is the piper. Um, cause they do, I can, we, we fly fish a lot with, with, with our dog as well. And so we're on a lot of the, uh, riverbanks and, they nest. They're ground nesting do- ground nesting birds. I'm pretty sure they're ground nesting birds. I should probably look that up. But um, they're always faking injured to try to lure the dog away from their nests. And North just runs up and it, down the she, bank. She, they drive our dog insane, right? Because they look right. like I, an injured. I, I bird. have them. Um, yeah, you have them. I, in- I have them. I have them. Uh, on my road, and they in fact they lay eggs outside of the road. And they they and they they'll the male will lure the dog away and then fly a little bit. So mm-hmm. and then they'll land and let the dog chase them again, and and then they'll fly over their head back around again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And then yeah. S- sometimes and that's fine. I don't. Yeah. It's it's fine it's, except for when she crosses the the bird crosses the river and then the dog sometimes will follow and you know then she's spooking the fish. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, well, that's what they're you know that's what they like to do. So, 
Um, I haven't, I let my dogs out in my exercise yard and those, those, uh, birds will be outside the fence and they'll be walking by and all the dogs will be all lined up along the fence pointing. <laughs> you know, so, so, but that's what, that's what you, you know, that's what, that's what they that's do. What that's dogs what dogs do and that's what they do. So mm-hmm. you just have to accept that. So, um, I and there's was, no, and, and there's no, and, and there's no way. Don't ever try to stop them from doing that. Oh no, absolutely no, not. No, no, yeah. no. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, Ben. So, like, how did you get into hunting? And uh, yeah, tell us a bit about how. Well, like, what what took you into the world of upland hunting? Um, I've talked about this quite a bit before. Back. Back when I, in fact, I've, I've written about it a lot. With back when I was a kid, in fact, I was in second grade. My grandfather basically was from England, and he came over to America, and and he used to take. He didn't have a car then; he took a bicycle. We lived we lived out in the country. We had about fourteen, twelve acres and a railroad tracks and back, and it was that we had a lot of quail back then, or not a lot. We had quail and pheasants. And he used to come and basically take me hunting. And I used to love it because my mother, he would, I'd talk to my mother and let me skip school and go with my grandfather hunting. So I, at a very, very young age, in fact, I think it was in second grade, I was really fascinated um, by hunting. And basically I was his, I was his bird dog. And he used to talk about bird dogs, which I didn't understand, you know. And he said, you know, just go out and be a bird dog and we'll go find those birds. And so that kind of, I think that made an impression on me. And then later on, I mean, when I was in, when I was in going into uh, junior high, before the week, we, we, and we uh, got a, a Springer Spaniel that lived in a city, basically was back in Chicago, this was in Northern Illinois, there was gunshot, and while we called him, his name was Mike, I always called him Mike the Dog. And I made that connection, and when I used to go hunting, or walking, he would go with me, and when I carried a gun, and if, if I shot at something, or a rabbit, or, or a bird, or a, little, a few times I shot, he would run back to the house, and I really always felt sorry for him. And I, and I never did anything to him. And eventually, basically what happened was that by shooting, he, he'd go borrowed back to the house, and then he'd come all the way back and hunt with me again. And he basically, I didn't know how to break him from from, uh, from being gun-shy. And he finally developed into a good hunter, as far as I know. He was a flushing dog. And so basically then what I did was, and I've written about this quite a bit, the, the railroad town, we, I lived about a mile, almost two miles from school, from a junior high school. And I used to walk the, in the morning, I would walk the railroad tracks. And I had a little 28, uh, 410 when I was junior high. I bought for $28 and 50 cents. From my from my paper route, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> save the money, and I would hunt and go to school, and then I'd hide the gun, uh, 
before I went to this, this the school building, and Mike the dog would would stay behind. And then when I got out of school, I would I would go out and get my gun and hunt hunt back home. And eventually he learned that. So after school at at three thirty when we got out, he would be waiting for me, and we hunt back home. So and I got extremely interested in dogs at that time. And I, and I really absolutely loved that dog. So he was a Springer Spaniel. So anyway, then about that after high school, right after, uh, right after high school, I was in the U.S. Navy. I, it was the, the Korean War. And instead of being drafted, I signed up to the U.S. Navy. And so those four years, Basically, I didn't do any hunting or anything else, but I was still, I used to read about it in magazines and et cetera a little bit. Upon graduation, upon leaving the service, uh, um, I worked about a year, nine months, and then applied to college in a place called DeKalb, Illinois, and Northern Illinois University, which was probably... 60 miles from where I originally lived as a kid. And, uh, the first thing I, first thing I wanted was, was a hunting dog. And, but I, I thought, I thought the best hunting dog you get was, a uh, a setter and an English setter. So I looked around and when I got to the, the Cal Illinois, I inquired my first year of college and acquired, I was about, 23 or, uh, I don't know, somewhere under, yeah, eight, 23, something. I acquired about uh, finding a bird dog, and somebody told me that somebody had some English setters that lived in the camp. So I pursued that and, and followed up on that and found the person that had a kennel. And when I went to see him, I said I was looking to buy a, a setter. And he said, well, I don't have setters. I have spaniels, uh, Brittany spaniels. And I said, and he said, they point. I said, oh, and of course, the, when, it, when the word spaniel came up, naturally I referred to like Springer spaniels. And I was very interested in that breed. And he walked me out to his kennel, which he had around, 30 some, playing about 30 some dogs. And he showed me the dogs and I just fell in love with them. I said, oh, and I asked him if I could buy one. And he said, he said, he said, you just started college, didn't you? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, you're, you, you're old enough. He said, why don't you learn to, why don't you train dogs for me? And I said, well, I really don't know anything about that. And he said, well, with Britney's, you don't have to. He said, "You just come and run the dogs, and, and uh, you don't you don't have to have a dog. You can use my dogs and train dogs and work for me." So that's what I did for the four years of college, and basically I learned a tremendous amount. I was I was training like I was training like fifteen to twenty dogs a year for him, mm-hmm. and then upon leaving college, I, I got 
two dogs from him, uh, which he gave me. And then two years later, I bought a mail from him. Uh, from Illinois, I moved to Washington, took my dogs with me. And I was the first one west that I know of. In fact, there was an article written in the paper in the Seattle Times because I moved to Washington that this guy had this new breed of dogs named Brittany Spaniels. I was in a campground and he, this, this uh, newspaper writer saw these dogs and asked me about them. And he wrote an article about it. And so when, then after I stayed in Montana, or excuse me, Washington, I only stayed two years, then moved to Montana, mm-hmm. uh, to Livingston, got a job uh, teaching in Livingston, Montana. And then I got it. And then I got another mail from my friend Oberlin in Illinois. And then my other bloodline side, I uh, got from Texas. Actually, I I was in the fly shop in Montana and met Delmar uh, Smith. That was a back in those days dog trainer, and I asked him if I knew he had trained Britney's a little bit and knew. I asked him about Britney's, and he said, I have a very good friend by the name of Jim Leverick in Texas. He has extremely good Britney's, and they're big running, what you need. So I bought from Jim Leverick. I went down to see him, but I bought from Jim Leverick. I probably bought, I think, five or six dogs from him. And then from my Britney, Illinois bloodlines, my um, I started my own particular um, bud lines, my breeding program, and my kennels were Williams Pride Britneys. Mm-hmm. It was in the 60s. And from there, I started raising Britneys and training, and and I did not write, I was not ready at the time, I was teaching and hunt, mm-hmm. hunting. So that's basically how I kind of got started. Did you? Did uh, anybody else have Britneys in Montana at that time? No, no, no. In fact, when I used to go hunting the rancher, just to glad you said, you know, here's this, here's this crazy guy in this little blue Volkswagen with, with four dogs out there chasing these wild birds. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I can hunt any place, and, and everybody, everybody just got a. Thought it was it was something else. So basically, I I, I would say I think there were probably a couple of guys maybe in Montana. I never heard about them. I would they a little bit because that had bird dogs. But back then nobody hunted hunts. In fact, the game warden that they would become a good friend of mine later. He said, yeah, "You just you can't hunt those game birds. They're too wild." I said, "I'll show you." Mm-hmm. And I worked hard at it, and I thought for years you couldn't, and then I figured them out. Yeah, and um, I think in I think up in Saskatchewan and Alberta, I think probably in the probably in the sixties there were probably a few guys that had bird dogs up there. I that I don't know, but you know they since they basically the Huns originated from that country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where we're located in, the, in Calgary. Yeah, yeah we're so. in Calgary, so. This is where they originated from in North America, right? Am I right? Well, yeah, that's a long story, but I can <laughs> I'll give you a little update. But uh, 
there were there were basically hundreds of introductions of Hungarian partridge in the United States, and uh, and really there wasn't a Great Lakes. The first planting actually, actually I think was in New Jersey, and then the Great Lakes, and then there was some quite a bit of plantings uh, and from the fishing game from Washington, Oregon. Uh, Montana few and they were never successful and it was in Calgary Montana at Calgary that a sporting club in Calgary I I had that information Uh, the guy that did it the sporting club they bought they bought some birds from Hungary and like I think maybe like a hundred and so and, and released them around Calgary. They did that twice, and the conditions were absolutely correct. The year was was the conditions for that time of year was correct for the transplanting, and those birds basically exploded in nesting. And those birds over the years took about ten fifteen years. Over the years, those birds would move from between, they would say they have to occupy a space, another space from 15 to 25 miles. And eventually, the Calgary bunch actually populated all of the birds in Canada, all the birds in Washington, Oregon, and Montana. So the original plant of the birds basically were from Calgary. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the, the Hungarian partridge, which we call them Huns, they were gray partridge, basically. And they, of course, when a bird basically is introduced to an area that is that is good for them, they will, they will try to occupy every space possible. And what they did over the many years is they just moved south and as, as far as they could, their range would take them. In fact, there's, there's even there's even some small populations of hungry parts as far as Utah and in southern Wyoming mm-hmm. and Washington and Oregon. But Montana, like Calgary or, or like Saskatchewan and Alberta and Manitoba, a little bit, has, has ideal conditions and much like their birds original homeland back in Hungary. And that's how they got us basically got established. That's kind of a just a thumbnail sketch. But yeah. Well it's a high plains. Um, I think they're like where they originally are is like the high plains, right? In Hungary. Like same kind of altitude, temperature, kinda I think that's kinda why they are so prolific here now. That's oh that's correct. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're they're I call them the Actually, I call them a, a bird of the steppes. If you look up what steppe country is, Alberta, our country is really steppe country. Very much like, very, very much like uh, uh, Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but also there were Hungarians. There are also great partridge in, in uh, England, mm-hmm. uh, in France. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, we... we... We spend most <clears throat> most of our time chasing after Huns. That's just like our favorite bird. They seem to do really well here. And from what we have experienced, there's not 
a ton of people going after Huns, not that we've yeah. seen in our short time. Um, and yeah. we just appreciate the bird so much because it just, it gets us out there and, yeah, and it, the season is I, long. I, I used to hunt around every year. I used to go to, uh, Saskatchewan and Alberta a little bit. I had it around, uh, Morlack. Mm-hmm. Are, are you familiar with Morlack? Uh, no, no, I'm not. No. A little town. Uh, well, Central it's... Butte. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Yep. 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 Okay. Yeah. That whole area, all the way, all the way to Swift Current mm-hmm. to Moose Shaw. Mm-hmm. Did you? That whole, that, what that that highway? What one is it? Yep. Highway one. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I used to stay right more like and hunt. Um, one of the one of the one of the reasons those birds were so good there and they so prolific was that there were a lot of abandoned homesteads. In fact, about every section had one, and they were called you call them ground crown lands, mm-hmm. and they were like little what ten twelve acres, and that's all. That's how I was introduced. That's when a couple guys. Ducks Unlimited showed me around up there, and uh, so I just, you know, hunt those little pockets, and you'd, you'd drive one, and I mean, you'd go to one little farmstead, and they're broken down, and drop the dogs off and hunt 10 acres, and did flush, and then you'd go someplace else. Well, I didn't like that. So I just I just would find one place and start hunting, and I'd, I'd knock on doors, and then I found out what if it wasn't posted, you could hunt it. And a couple of times I did knock on doors, and the guys would say, you know, you don't have to ask, just go ahead and hunt. And so I used to just hunt just about any time or any place. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest problem I had was knocking on doors in Saskatchewan was they always wanted to invite you in to have coffees or cookies or something and I was always trying to look out the window and wanted to go hunting yeah. <laughs> and not visit it. So, <laughs> but anyway, I, I spent quite a bit of time in, in, and uh, I hunted in that country and I loved it. And I used to do a little bit of snow geese hunting too, up there also a little bit, but I think your hunting was, is extremely good. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of just going to those little little crown places, I used to just go completely cross country and hunt. Mm-hmm. Found them, and like you said, back then that there, there was basically nobody hunted huns. Guys hunted sharp tails up there quite a bit, but not huns that much. Yeah, the uh, the the unfortunately the law changed in Saskatchewan. <laughs> you have to you have to now ask and that was just recently actually. They had changed that now. Before you could hunt when it wasn't posted. Um but now now you have to ask for permission. Um we've we haven't struggled well, too that much. Is, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we that that yeah. happened the same thing happened in Montana. Mm-hmm. In the 60s and 70s I could hunt any place and then they then they changed that law but I, so I had so many places on it didn't make any difference for me, but it was too bad that mm-hmm. that happened. Yeah. Fortunately, uh-huh. we it it's uh, we've been pretty lucky. Um, just recently, I I uh, we had a discussion, and I was like, I think the landowners are like getting like 
easier to deal with. Right. And I was like, I think they're like, you know, uh, younger, I was thinking not to say that old landowners are difficult to deal with, but my perception, but, and I was like, ah, it just seems like the last few years, like we get a lot more permission, you know, like whether we want to hunt or fish or whatever. And then I came to the realization that it, that wasn't the reality. They weren't getting younger. I was just getting older. So, (laughs) so I I think, uh, I don't know. They, they trust you a little bit more as you get older to kind of, when you tell them that you're not going to, you know, damage any fences or be responsible responsible and stuff like that. And, and yeah, I think that helps is a bit. I, I call it kicking gravel. Uh, because when when you knock on a door and a rancher, you see a rancher, the first thing we do is take our feet and we start kicking dirt and kicking gravel. (laughs) And we, we always talk about the weather first, and then we talk about the bad cattle prices and the bad wheat prices. And then after a half hour, we kind of slide into about hunting birds. <laughs> okay. I, I have a rigor, I have a rigor routine and I call it kick and gravel. Okay. So <laughs> I'm always polite. And if somebody refuses me, I, I thank them very much. And I say, I understand. And, and that's it. So, mm-hmm. Uh, Darcy has I a routine. Darcy has a routine. His routine is he sends me to the door because I am. <laughs> <laughs> he, he thinks I'm, um, I'm well received. <laughs> well, uh, I would agree with him. I would think. I would think so. I think. I think. I think a gill knocking at a door asking your bird hunt would probably get on a little easier. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I get her. I get her to warm them up before I go in there. Yeah, for sure. Every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think, I think that's a good move. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. It's it's very not good. an easy it's not an easy thing to do. You know, it's it's definitely it's intimidating. You no, know, very, very people. I find even down here, people have an extremely hard time doing that. And I never had a hard time doing it. I just, I just, you know, I did the same thing up in, up there. You know, just knock on doors. Even though you could hunt back then, I'd knock on doors and, and just visit with people, you know. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if they refused and they would give me an excuse and so forth, that I'd agree with them. I'd say, I think that's fine, you know, and just. You never want to, you never, you know, yeah, you what just, you don't want to do, you know, what you don't want to do is drive in and run over one of their chickens or their dog. Cause that doesn't, that's not a good start. I always feel like okay. I'm interrupting their day or something. When I go to the door, I'm like, Oh, I feel like bad interrupting their day. That's why I am always like, I don't know. That's my first <laughs> yeah. hesitation. I, I would, you know, I'd hate to bother them when they're in the middle of something. So <laughs> I used to go, when I, when I was up in Lewistown, we hunted pheasants a little bit. There, was, there were a lot of guys that hunted pheasants. So, but when I got when I established a couple of places to hunt, I used to hunt on Saturdays and Sundays. I'd, I'd, I would always, on a Sunday, I'd always buy several newspapers and, and deliver them to the rancher that was hunting out. Oh, that's a great and, idea. Yeah. yeah, and I always kind of appreciate that. Mm-hmm. It just... Just something to say thank you, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think I think having I think having bird dogs, you know, and, and 
Um, having a bird dog is not, it, it's kind of a good idea even to have in your car or something, you, you have a dog. Ranchers, farmers basically associate with people that have animals. And if you have an animal, basically, they think you have more respect for the land and for hunting than just not having an animal. And I firmly believe that. And I think one of the things when I had a, when I was known to have a lot of bird dogs, those people had to say, you know, this guy knows what he's doing hunting. So North is uh, going to be coming door knocking with me when I go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I don't. I, that's that's a good idea. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, yeah. or you want to make sure that the dog maybe not walk up to the dog door with the dog because some people get frightened of dogs, but you want to. Visible. Kind of make it, or or mention, you know, could you know, if you know, would it be okay if I go hunting Hans and Sharptoes with my Brittany, mm-hmm. with my with my dog, you know, mm-hmm. if you if you kind of include your your name of your dog or your dog that you're doing that, people listen to that. Those 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 little things really help, I think. Yeah, I I would have to agree. It, 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 as soon as we say we're bird hunting, like with the dog, it, it seems like they're like, oh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, go ahead. You know, there. I think they're especially up here. There's, uh, especially in the last few years, um, there's been such a a huge amount of people, uh, big game hunting, and yeah. So you're yeah, like, another another thing. Another thing you might do is, and what I do is. I don't, when I ask somebody if I could, I ask him if I could run my bird dogs. I never ask him if I could hunt, mm-hmm. basically. And then if they said, you know, and then if we get in the conversation, I said, I said, would you mind if I, I have bird dogs to run my bird dogs mm-hmm. and look, and look for, and look for hunts and look for Farmers call them, look for little chickens or, you know, look for those wild chickens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you leave, kind of leave the word some kind of hunting out of there, and then if they ask you if you're going to go hunting, you'll say, oh, yeah, I, I do carry a gun when I run my dogs, yes, and shoot a few birds, mm-hmm. you know. Did you, did, you, did you chase a lot of sharp tails as well? I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like sharp toes and I, and, uh, um, we, you know, when I hunt Hans, basically we have, we have, sh- we'll get into sharp toes. Mm-hmm. They don't lay, they don't lay quite as well as, as Hans, but and sharp toes, by the way, run like crazy. You know, people don't think they do. They do just like Hans. I mean, they're, both of both species are little foot soldiers, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're runners, um, but I my my dogs uh, like to hunt sharp toes as well as hunt. I think sure, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. They're in the um, same locations a lot of the time, right? Oh, well, mine are mm-hmm. lots of times, yeah. And yeah. I'll get into a big flock. I'll, I'll get into a big flock of sharp toes sometimes. Um, I mean, maybe 20 to 18 birds or, you know, 16, 18, 20 birds. Um, and they'll hold very nice, you know, mm-hmm. 
and for the dogs. And, um, the, I found I, I found up in Canada when I was up in yeah, Alberta and Saskatchewan. The sharp tails there seemed to be a little wilder just because of the habitat they were in. Like the, the shoulder belts were a little cleaner and so forth. Um, and maybe it was hunting pressure on sharp tails too, I don't know. But I always found them to be a little spookier up in that country later on. Um, but it's just because probably a pressure. And I, and where I hunt sometimes, it's a flock of sharp tails that probably never seen a person, you know. Mm-hmm. I have lots of land to hunt today. And I'm basically kind of the only person that hunts it, so. Yeah, they seem to, our experience with them is they seem to like, after that initial flush, they scatter. Like, they they spread out a little bit. I don't know if that's uh, just up. Belt? Yeah, I don't know if that's down there as well as up here, but the ones oh, that... Oh, no, were, they always scatter. Yeah, they'll scatter. Yeah. They don't, they'll, they'll fly. Sometimes young birds will fly kind of a group, but they won't land in a, they'll, they'll land in an area that's, you know, maybe... 15, 20 acres yeah. or more scattered out. They don't land together yeah. uh, as a unit like Huns do. Yeah. And if you notice, they don't fly in a unit. No. They kind of they kind of burst in the sky, and so they and sage grouse do the same thing, and prairie chickens the same way. Uh, they're big birds, so they they basically they'll scatter out and they'll run. Mm-hmm. You know, it becomes very hard after the initial flush. We found them. We we're hunting a lot of like like coulee areas, so they'll so they'll they'll fly over top of the coulee and then drop back down to the other side, and right. you'll walk past yeah. the you'll the the dog will even pass one potentially, especially if it gets out ahead of that first bird, and then yeah. another one drops down, and they seem to be well, seems they to be very yeah, chaotic. Thing you, when you hunt, yeah, another thing when you hunt the sharp shows is they spread out a lot, so basically. It, it takes some time for that bird to lay down some scent. Mm-hmm. So instead of just running over there and you know, where a bunch of birds land, you want to you want to give those birds some time to move around or run around a little bit and then go in there. In fact, you might even wait for twenty minutes to a half hour, mm-hmm. and sometimes and and that's basically the same thing. What chasing Hans, I call it. Once you know you get a big covey of Hans. That flush, and usually they'll stay together. Fairly stay. The the first jump they're in tight formation. The second jump they're usually in a fairly tight formation. And then once you break them up on the hunts, the singles, then that's when you have to really slow down, sit down, take your time, and wait for them to lay down scent. Mm-hmm. And most people don't do that. Most people see a cubby hunts, they pursue them. Uh, and they they just don't give enough give the bird enough time to lay any scent down. Mm-hmm. That's a great now, tip. You know, you think about that. That that's very important for the dog. Mm-hmm. And the conditions make a big difference. I mean, one day with extremely dry, with no with no moisture in there, and etc. Well, I've had my dogs actually standing on a hun and couldn't smell it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has nothing to do with the dog. It has something to do with the, the moisture and, and you know, what they can smell. Mm-hmm. So every 
when you get an ideal day with a, then I think I write about it, when you get an ideal day with a nice, crisp, you know, moist fall air, I mean, I mean, my dogs can find everything. Mm -hmm. And the next time they go out, you get a dry day with no wind, nothing flat and they can, I've had them standing in a cubby of hunts and I didn't know they're there. Mm-hmm. So you always, you always got to consider when running dogs is always think about the conditions and you go out sometimes and sometimes you can smell the flowers, you can smell the trees and the, and the, and, and, and the, the fall air, the, like fall is in there, you can smell it. Some days they can't smell anything. And our our scent capacity is, you know, zero compared to a dog's. Mm-hmm. So always think in terms of, always think in terms when you're running your dog, what is today? What's the wind like? Is there a frost? Is there moisture in the air? All these little factors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, our, our Brittany prefers just a little bit of snow, I'm sure most. Bird dogs are the same. That 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 snow on the ground really helps everything, as far as as far as their scent goes. Especially if it's a and couple days after. The temperatures usually like just prime for her. She likes yeah. it to be you know on the cooler side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if there's if there's if there's snow on the ground, sometimes if it's fairly dry snow, and sometimes uh, then honey, we. Is not necessarily that good. A lot of times, when they get snow in the ground, and the ground is there's there's sparse covers, those huns won't. They'll either relocate again or they'll run and move. Mm-hmm. Um, I always found that a little snow does help as long as it melts and so forth. But yeah, like just right around that freezing can, the, freezing temperature, like yeah, zero yeah. or. I guess it would be thirty-two yeah. in yeah. the thirties in the in the low th- or the high thirties there. Right. Yeah. Just after yeah. snow, that kind of seems like everything's perfect. She right. doesn't get too cold. She doesn't get too hot, and there's enough scent kind of yeah. kicking around. Yeah. 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 Did you do Every lots of traveling is- besides up here? Have you like ever traveled overseas to hunt or anything? Okay, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm losing you a little bit. I don't know if you're. No, no, I can phone. say that again. No, I can say that. Uh, th- okay, now I can hear you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, did you, besides Canada and like a lot of the states, did you hunt anywhere else, like around the world at all? Did you travel? I have. I've had it. I've had it. I've hunted in Mongolia. I brought twice, I brought two dogs to Mongolia and hunted. Uh, Gray partridge and Darwinian partridge, which almost look identical. The only difference is, is their habitat. And I did it basically for a friend of mine that was an outfitter, fishing guide that wanted to develop bird hunting in Mongolia. And I went over there and, and uh, developed their hunting for them. Mm-hmm. And then I left a couple of bird dogs over there for them to use to a one year. Mm-hmm. And then it got so expensive the Mongolian government started charging so much money per bird. I think it got up to, I think a hazel grouse or the black grouse was like $200. Wow. 
Oh, really? Uh, wow. Hounds are like hounds are like twenty or thirty dollars a piece of shooting them. So mm-hmm. it got kind of it, it was great. It was hunting like I loved it. The first time I went over there and hunted was like hunting Montana in the twenties. Mm-hmm. It was wonderful. Nobody hunted them. Yeah, I would. I would, um, I would imagine. And then, and then. I hunted Alberta, Saskatchewan, British mm-hmm. Columbia. I hunted a little bit. Manitoba, I never hunted. Um, then what I would do for, I retired after 30 years of teaching. I retired. I was 54 years old. I retired from teaching um, in 86. And that's when I basically started writing full time and, writing full time and full photographing. So then I would hunt, I'd hunt about 250 days a year. Wow. And then I would hunt, I'd hunt Montana, then uh, leave sometimes around Thanksgiving or, and then, well, depending on the snow. And then I would hunt Kansas for quail, Oklahoma, and New Mexico, Arizona. Mm-hmm. And then several years, I hunted every every game bird in the United States. I did that three times and shot every game bird in the United States um, with with my Britneys, with my dogs. Wow, that's pretty cool. So, I'd, I'd love to go for yeah, charm, so charm again one day. That's like kind of one of the birds we want to chase after. Um, go up to like, we saw them when we went... Um, up to the Northwest Territories, uh, or the sorry, the Yukon. We saw ptarmigan uh, up there when we were fly yeah. fishing, and we're like, "Man, we got to get up there and like go for those birds one day." I've had I, I've literally, I've hunted, and I've uh, I've hunted ptarmigan about ten times, and I've uh, you can hunt them from August first. So June 1st, I've hunted them in August, September, I've hunted them in March, and I've hunted them in May mm-hmm. when they were paired up. And we'd fly in and just land on the beach and hunt them. We could fly over and see them. And in the fall, uh, I did a couple of photo essays for Grace Boarding Journal and several magazines. And I would literally sometimes see 5,000 birds uh, on a good year. And we, I would just get on a hill. You could see just white dots all over. My dogs loved it. Um, there, I was with a couple of biologists up there hunting one time. They, you're allowed 20 a day. And I shot about five. And I said, I'm not shooting anymore, but I think we shot. There were three of them besides myself. I think they... I think they shot around 60 birds. Oh, like wow. That. How did they taste? So, they're good. The young birds are very good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think they're very much like a, very much like a sharp tail, probably. Mm-hmm. Probably a little, not as quite as dark, but they're nice. The time to hunt them, by the way, is if you're going to hunt in Alaska, uh, you can make some good arrangements. I, I hunted, uh, I used to, we just get a, uh, super Cub and so forth and fly and look for them and then land 
um, takes a couple dogs with the one dog with a super culture with a smaller, with a little bigger plane, two dogs and, and, uh, and just look for them and then mm-hmm. land and hunt them that way. But, but the best time to hunt them is, uh, get there August 1st, mm-hmm. uh, sometime by late August, sometime they'll, they'll be starting to break up and be very mobile. And you can see a thousand of them in one day and zero the next. Oh, really? They'll, they're, they move yeah. just ma- uh, no, two they distances. Move. They, they stage, they stage very quickly and move in big flocks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did a, I think if you look up, I don't know. Do you have my, we have them around here. There are, there are, there is some in Alberta. There is ptarmigan in Alberta. There are, I know. Yeah, there are, there yeah. are some. Do you in, have? Go ahead. Yeah. Do you have my American wing shooting book? We have uh, Western wings. I don't think we have that, the um, the American one. You get a copy of American wing shooting sometime. You can, yeah. you can get them pretty inexpensive. Uh, mm-hmm. American wing. That's, that's all the game birds. Mm-hmm. But it's a pictorial coffee table book. Okay. And then my other pictorial coffee table book is uh, Hunting the Quails of North America. Mm-hmm. And you get, you get on Amazon, you can buy some of those books fairly cheap. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, yeah. I buy in, in fact, I buy them sometimes cheap. Okay, I can buy them cheaper on Amazon than I can through my publisher. Oh, <laughs> That's hilarious. That's a, bit, a bit ridiculous. Yeah. 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 But, I, but I think another thing you like, I'm not, I'm not trying to sell my book. No, I'm no, 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 that's fine. You just no, told but, us I think for you folks, it's, it's worth buying. It's worth buying my book called Best Day Yet. I think it's only $15. I already have it on order. Yeah. <laughs> oh, do you? Well, it, I do. It, 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 and, then, and then it has little vignettes of all the, some of my friends that have asked to write little vignettes for me. And, and those, are, those are 24 short stories that I've written. Mm-hmm. And I work for Cubby Rise magazine still. I, I don't know. Are you familiar with Cubby yeah, Rise? Yeah, yeah. Yep. And I've written so far. I've written. They, I was the first one they asked to be when they started the magazine to be the writer. And I'm I'm a columnist for them. Most times, people just write, you know, once or twice a year. I have written sixty stories for them, um, and I'm running out of stories. So <laughs> I always think of something. But anyway, I think I think for both of you, I think you probably enjoy reading some of those stories because in between the lines, basically, there's a lot of information mm-hmm. um, about things I write about. And like I said, that one book that I wanted, and that one story I'd like you to read is that uh, what I call it, Huns in September. You know, mm-hmm. the yeah. Hans in September. I think you'll enjoy that. Yeah. Just so everybody knows that we discussed beforehand that uh, after after this podcast ends, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna read it so everybody can listen to it as well. So yeah. I yeah, I would appreciate that. I yeah. like I say I used to I used to I used to read to my students a little bit, but I'm not very good at it anymore. Yeah. I just, yeah. 
I, I, I asked I asked Ben I asked Ben to to read and and uh, he asked me to read it so which I'm more than happy to do yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 we yeah. had we had Jim McLennan on and and I got him to read reluctantly to to read but um but I know Jim a little bit better so I could pressure him a little bit harder but but I didn't feel like I could pressure Ben as much so. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Well, I just, I also think sometimes it's, no, I think it's sometimes better to have another person read the story mm-hmm. that I wrote yeah. than myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I think when, I, we, when you I, read your I, own writing, sometimes you, you, you have a tendency to to read it quickly when you read yourself. That's that's correct, yeah. And I skip over the lines sometimes. It's just one of those things, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um I find it, and I find reading out loud, I've never been, I've never done it a lot, very distant, yeah. maybe self-conscious or something, I don't know, I don't know why, being a school teacher, I never had a problem with it, but, mm-hmm. so, but anyways, that's so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you were a school but teacher, you were a school teacher for, in Montana? I was, I taught one year in Illinois, mm-hmm. I taught uh, drafting, and then I have a degree basically in industrial uh, engineering and architecture. And then I went to, and I have a degree in biology. Or, then not, I left, went not to Washington. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Pardon? But not an English degree. I was terrible in English. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely terrible. <laughs> In college, <laughs> that was my worst subject. <laughs> and then you became a writer. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> do you think? Do you, do you think it helped you to be bad? As in, you wrote more from the heart because of it, and less uh, clinical. Yeah. I just I always had the one the one thing I did have. I wasn't when I talked about bad. I think it was 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 you know punctuation, that kind of stuff. And I still have a little trouble with punctuation. My wife helps me now. I think I'd be, I get mixed up a little bit, but, and I hate reading books about how to write. I mean, that drives me nuts. But I, I, I think I, the one thing I have with going out with writing, I think is I do have a very good, uh, Maybe you can't call it maybe an imagination, but I can I can really say things mm-hmm. that are that are important. I think I think my writing shows that. Yeah. That's all I will say about my writing. But mm-hmm. anyway, but it was a hard time. Mm-hmm. I had a hard time when I started. Yeah, um, and I take a long time. I don't. I don't. I can't. I had a couple like my friend Charlie Waterman. He would sit down in the morning and eight o'clock and. He'd have his article done by eleven. Well, I sit down at eight o'clock, and a week later, I'm still working on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, but yeah. I like to rewrite, rewrite, rewrite. But I think that's important. I mean, that's I know I'm not going to talk about writing because I don't. I think I I have a I've written a lot, but mm-hmm. like I say, I I'm a, I'm a I think like Norman McLean said, I'm a story. I'm I'm a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. I I'm not gonna talk too much about myself, but I I teach as well and and my students are like, I don't know, I don't think I you know, if I get a student 
And I'm like, oh, you know, you maybe want to think about potentially teaching at some time. And, and they're like, I don't know if I can do it. I was like, this is how, you know, I feel like a good teacher is, is I was like, can you tell a good story? Like, can you captivate an audience to tell a good story? And they're like, yeah, I think I can. I think I'm pretty good at that. I was like, well, then you can teach. I was like, the knowledge can come later. I was like, you know, and I think like a, a writer is probably the same thing. It's like, you know, it, it, in order to be a good writer, you just got to be a good storyteller. The technical part that can come after the fact. Right. But that's you, right. That's what, yeah. I, I think the biggest, and I tell people that I've done a lot of things. I mean, I, pretty major photographer and writer and, and uh, I'm a, also a sculptor and a designer and an architect uh, all kind of almost a renaissance person and I have a lot of big sculptures and so forth but I think of all the things I've done and I, I really I really liked teaching and I liked teaching kids that had a hard time um, and I think I was good at it mm-hmm. and, and the subjects I taught kids like, and I, you know, but I taught, I taught architecture and I taught drafting and I taught woodshop and I taught sculpting and I taught art. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, and I taught biology and I taught general science. Mm-hmm. I was asked to teach English once and I said, I don't think so. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, so, but I think one of the, I think honestly, I can say, and I tell people, I think, I think that, I, I, uh, I think the best thing I ever, ever done, and I use the word done, is is teaching. I think mm-hmm. I, I hold my teaching to a very high. Uh, standard. It's an extremely, it's an extremely rewarding thing to do. Yes, absolutely. Uh Absolutely. Did you, did you teach people? Even, even in my writing of Hans and, and I I try to write with an idea of of teaching. Mm -hmm. I, my writing has little lessons in it. Mm -hmm. If you can pick up on it. Yeah. Yeah. I Mm -hmm. think from what I've read of, uh, from, from the stuff that I've read of yours, I definitely there I've picked up a fair bit. Yeah. And, and we had first gotten your book cause we had your, your uh, podcast with um, Thorvis podcast um, with Reed came out right when we went right in the middle of a hun season. So then we got the book and then I was like, I can't remember. I, I read it and I was like, Oh, I think I'm, I'm definitely more knowledgeable. will be more successful out there for sure. Yeah. 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 And yeah. and it was, and they're story based too. Right. So, but you know, in those stories, somebody tells you a story about how they did something, right. Even if it's an anecdote, you, you're, you definitely should be able to pick up some knowledge from that. Oh yeah. Sure. All of my, I, all of my writing, I try to put in some information about, but mm-hmm. I can think my, my hunt hunting book, Hans and hunt hunting. Uh, I mean, if you really read that book and study that book of, uh, Mm-hmm. It'll tell you how to hunt hunts. Mm-hmm. And I've had a couple that in my hunting the quails in North America, I've had a couple of biologists and a couple of good friends that are biologists and both of them, they have said to me and then from a from a fish and game biologist telling me this, I appreciate it. And they they said they learned more from that than that, even though it's a pictorial book of hunting quail, 
They said, there is more information on honey quail than any book I've ever read. And I, I read, and I tried to, when I did that, that tons and hunt, uh, that hunting the quails. And it's just on quail though. But mm-hmm. now my American wing shooting pictorial is really not, it's, it's, it's more pictorial than, mm-hmm. than, did you, uh, the learning hunt. Did you teach anybody to hunt? Like, did you, did you have anybody that kind of asked, you know, for you to, for you to take them out, like, or introduce uh, them to it? Oh, absolutely. I think I've taken out a lot of writers and I've taken out a lot of people that I've really taught them how to hunt hunts. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I and, think, you know, you take the person out a couple of times and, you know, if they, if I take a person out and they don't want to learn, then I will never ask them again. I mean, I can tell right off the bat, if they're willing to learn and watch and listen to what you're doing, fine. If they're out there with you and don't want to do what you want to do and hunt and so forth, then we don't do that again. That's, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Not not so, that I think I'm any kind of expert, very far from it since we're so new at hunting, but uh, the last, last season... Uh, Darcy's sister, she asked if she could come with us. She just wanted to come and watch and see. And actually, it was the best day. Me and Darcy aren't a good shot, so we didn't, like, limit out or anything. But that's not what's important to us. But we saw so many birds, like, so many hunts, huge coveys, and they were just pushing up. And she was actually dog-sitting um, a retriever that hunts. So she brought her her new boyfriend's dog with her and we had north and me and darcy i think we both got two huns and uh you know north was pointing like crazy and this other dog he was retrieving the birds and it was just an amazing day it was so good and and she was she was just there as a spectator but last week she just texted me a picture that she completed her hunter's education so now i think she has the bug because you know so I, years years ago, I had a couple of gals. Um, they hunted. They have a rough grouse hunt in Michigan. These two gals. One of they called me and asked me if I would I would take them hunting and for hunts. They said they would like, and I said yeah. And so back then. Uh, we had a spare bedroom and I invited them. They stayed with my wife and I, they stayed at our house and I, and I took them hunting and they loved it. They, we had more fun. Uh, um, as I find out, as I found out a long time ago in teaching, when girls listen better than boys, when it comes to learning. Okay. So, and I used to tell my students that, so, but, and they listened in, and when they first got out there, and I said, okay, I'm going to tell you, one was called, one was named was Tracy. Now I can't remember the other one. I said, when you shoot, when you shoot these birds, you're going to clean them. You're going to take care of them. Right. Okay. And they said, oh, no problem. I said, okay, I just want to make, make that sure, you know. I'm not your gilly, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you're gonna you're gonna hunt, and, and we had a wonderful time. They had a wonderful learning experience, mm-hmm. and so I've had quite a few off and on 
quite a few quite a few writers have come out. I've I've been invited to come out, but I I've been inviting people out to come out, and I don't do it as much now because I'm my age. I just I just can't walk as hard as I used to, and and I don't have my dogs are not as high tuned as they used to be. So, and also my wife, I can't. She's uh, she's on a walker, so I can't leave her mm-hmm. here very long. By herself. Yeah, we we've invited quite a few people up to come visit us and come hunt and and stay with us because we just we just got a new place and we have a spare room and you know so we've put the offer out there to a lot of people um, like from Orvis that we've talked to and dealt with like Reed and stuff like that and uh, good I think someone's going to take us up up this year and and come up for Sharpie season in October. So, you know, it'll be fun to come host, you know, someone uh, where we actually know a bit about, you know. Yeah, yeah, We take a lot of people. We fish a ton, a ton, a ridiculous amount probably. Good. And, That's good. Yeah, and, yeah, new fishing. Yeah. 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 And so we've taken a lot of people fishing, but this would be the first time we've taken anybody hunting. So it should be interesting. Yeah, good. So how many, how many dogs do you have? Just have one? Just have one. Yeah, this is our first bird dog, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you ever have two, you never, you'll never go back to one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you ever have, if you ever have four, you never go back to two. <laughs> I, I I know this to be the I I know this to be the, the uh, um uh when we we've trained her uh, just north of here at uh, a Brittany breeder and and she's like uh, so when are you getting your another Brittany. She's like nobody. I only has one, Brittany. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have, I have. In fact, I've been trying to get a hold of. There was a gal that I buy a couple of my dogs from, uh, Leslie. Yeah, le- that's where North is from. That's where we got uh, our dog from, Leslie. Yeah. Well, that's where I got. I got a couple of bird dogs from her. She, I got, I got bird dogs from her back. Probably in the seventies. I think when she first started. She's been when doing she it since the sixties. Yes. Yeah, I think yeah. she's been doing it since the sixties. Yeah. Yeah. She knows who I am. In fact, I've been trying to call her. I mean, I want to buy a little female Brittany from her. Oh, you know, so uh, North, North, so North. She she was going to keep North, and she had North, and she had this other dog, Mudslide. So. Uh, they're both about two and a half right now, and I think mud slides up for a litter. So um, they kept her in the breeding program. I yeah, I heard that she has done dogs in March, but I can't get. A, I keep calling her, and she doesn't answer her phone. Oh. <laughs> well, I don't blame her. <laughs> but I think I've gotten. Well, I had two of my friends in Livingston. Got dogs from her. I call in. Uh, let's see. I got one, two, three. I think I got maybe three dogs from her. I had one dog called Sally, which was a really a small Britney. She was a sweetheart. Um, I didn't use her dogs from my bloodlines because I had my own bloodlines. But and I, I met her. I met her. Maple Creek, she lives, right? Yep, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah. I met her up there once or twice, yeah. 
Yeah, we're really happy she's with like, our dog. We're like super happy. I, uh, and you, when you tell her, I think very highly of her for her dogs. Mm-hmm. I, I speak very, I, I, and I also speak very highly of her as a dog trainer. Yeah, we, she knows what she knows what it's about. Yeah. Yeah, we were going to try yeah. and get her on one of these days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we just don't know if we can convince her to 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 come on here and talk. Yeah, I, I, she's. Well, if you talk to her, tell her I said hello. No, I will so, for sure, definitely. Well, I'll tell her that you're that you're looking for her too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well. Um, thanks, Ben. We really appreciate you coming on. It's uh, we've learned a lot, and and it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure, and we're so happy that yeah. that that you've written so much, and there's so much out there for everybody to 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 take well, in good. your stories yeah. and, 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 and yeah. your knowledge. So we, we really want to thank you for that and, and really thank you for coming on. Yeah. And, then, and thank you for asking me and, and I, and I appreciate it. And I, had a, and I had a great conversation with you. Yeah. Um, one thing you might do, uh, you, when you get this taken care of or whatever Paul put together, yeah. Uh, send me a link to it so I can, I get a couple of friends that would like to listen to it probably. Of course. Yes, definitely. We'll definitely let you, we'll definitely let you know. And, and after, I don't know, I'm after, not too good at that topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's called a link or something. Yeah. 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 It's a link. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll make sure, <laughs> no, we'll okay. make sure you get it. We'll make sure yeah. you get yeah, it. We'll, have a- we'll send it to your, to your email. And, and even if you give us your friend's email, we'll make sure that they give it as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, I'll probably at this point, probably right now is I'll, I'll probably, I'll probably read the, the portion in your book. I'll put it in here. I'll just edit it into here to the end. So, um, Good. And, yeah, I think and, that, I think that one story that the one I picked out, I think, I think you'll like that. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of fits into what, yeah. and you know what I'm, and you're always welcome. Yeah. You're always welcome to come up. And see and, and see us yeah. with your bird dogs and and if we're ever down there, we'll probably knock at your door. So, <laughs> yeah, well, certainly. I don't think I'll be traveling because of my wife's condition, mm-hmm. but if you certainly get down to Montana, give me a call and Bob will talk to have you drop by and we'll kick some spend gravel. Day. We'll kick some gravel. Yeah, we'll yeah, kick some gravel. You know, kick some gravel. Yeah. 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 So, mm-hmm. thank so you. Ben. Anyway, that's it. yeah. Thank you. So I will. I won't hang up and tell you whatever you said. Yeah, perfect. No problem. Thank you, everyone, for listening. (laughs) Bye-bye. Huns in September, The Joys of Montana's Magnificent First by Ben O'Williams. This says it all about the start of hunting season in my area of Montana. Hunting Hungarian partridge is one of the greatest cardiovascular programs there is. Huns are also one of the most difficult birds a dog will ever be asked to handle. So wrote Thomas McGuane in the preface to my book, Huns and Hun Hunting, the history, habits, habitat, and techniques of hunting a great game bird. Now that we're nearing September, I am pleased to have spent so much time working my bird dogs this past summer. I feel a lot less guilty about all the dead branches scattered underneath the cottonwoods in my yard and other chores calling for my attention as I drive off to train the four teenage canines and to work the older dogs. Coming soon is the magnificent first, the opening day of Hungarian partridge, also called Huns or Grey Partridge, hunting season in Montana. 
I feel a hunter can be excused for being distracted from the endless chores that seem to pile up towards the end of summer. During this time, I not only had dogs to run, but I also had other important activities, such as walking miles to scout the high plains terrain in search of Hun Covey hangouts before the season gets started. The experienced dog knows the calendar as well as the autumn smells. Even though the adolescent Brittany sisters and the two English pointer youngsters lack fall hunting experience, they too sense the older canine's enthusiasm and feel something exciting is about to happen. If I had to choose one game bird to hunt, it would be the Hungarian partridge. It's not only the hunting of the Huns or having a handful of feathers that first created the appeal that later grew into a passion which attracted me was the challenge of acquiring the biological knowledge to help in pursuing a little-known non-native game bird in North America using gun dogs. It involved a game bird that demanded physical endurance, cunning dog work, and a feeling as wild as the big open country in which they live. For me, huns are a creation that justifies having a kennel of gun dogs year-round, and having the opportunity for several months to shoot a few grays for the edification of the dogs and the glory of the table. I'm sort of bent in the direction of calling my two pointing breeds gun dogs. That phrase accurately emphasizes a canine's ability to hold a game bird at great distances and to further ensure the gunner will actually be ready to shoot over the dogs. I'd love to have five bucks for every time I've walked up behind one or more of my gun dogs on point, a quarter mile away, gun ready, and have a covey of Hungarian partridges flush in my face. I sometimes wonder if I would be enthusiastic hunting huns over gun dogs without having added a few good shotguns to the mix. By good, I mean older, classic, English double side-by-side steeped in wing shooting tradition. I don't shoot any better with such guns, but they give me a great deal of pleasure having such loveliness in hand hunting an English game bird as huns are and adding a bit of history of the English game guns. There may not be the perfect hun gun. In fact, I have guns for different times of the day. The morning gun is often my 12-gauge London Best side-by-side, while my afternoon gun is a sleek little 28-gauge side-by-side made in Birmingham, England. At my age, I get a bit tired walking for several hours in the morning, so later in the day, the light 5-pound side-by-side comes up a little bit faster than that 12-gauge. If I could choose the perfect hun hunting season in Montana, it would look like this. I'd shift the first two weeks of September to the end of the month, after the frost had bitten the forbs and strangled the fresh green aroma so that the dogs smelled only the fragrance of bird scent. I'd leave October the way it is, but I'd steal the nice fall weather for November-December right up to New Year's Day when the bird season closes. That would give me four months of good dog-scenting conditions and uninterrupted pleasant hunting weather. My memory has a habit of exaggerating the reality, but my true pleasure has always been walking with my gun dogs, having a graceful, lovingly 
English double gun in my hand during beautiful weather while hunting a wonderful game bird. As I write this, I'm thinking about the magnificent first and of loading up the gun dogs in the hunting rig, taking a couple of English guns and hunting for several hours and not caring all that much about shooting a hunt. For me, that's pretty much how it ought to be. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and subscribe to the channel. And don't forget to tune in again next week. Thanks again for listening.